Page Chof Aleph. It's not enough for the for the parents and the teachers to recognize that there's something different, there's something unique about the generation, the new generation, and that there should be an understanding. That's it. But because of the kind of excitement and the kind of careful, the kind of stimulation that the new generation is is receiving from the outside world, from the secular world, something which was unprecedented, something which had never been in the earlier years, <clears throat> it's necessary that the uh, that the avodas Hashem now that the avodas Hashem be in such a way which they find inspiring and stimulating. Since from an early age, the young people now are expecting are expecting to 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 have the kind of emotions to experience the kind of emotional the kind of um, the kind of emotional highs that in the old days children never thought of they never dreamt of and when they were older that was part of part of the uh, a healthy process of maturing but nowadays the Rebbe says that the children expect that at a very young age therefore we have to we have to fight a preemptive war and to and to and to excite and to inspire them with Yiddishkeit, and that's the only way that it's possible for the for the for for Yiddishkeit to compete with what's with what's available, Bahavil, what's available in the theaters and the and the clubs and the streets and so, and so on. And it's really very prophetic. We're at the bottom of page 21. The Zeha and this it, itself is a fundamental principle in the, in the teachings of Chassidus. V'zayikah b'tarus Chassidus. Shlo yistapik ha'ish b'sich lo levad, asher kriveya ba'avayda. That one is not satisfied with merely, with merely understanding avayda Hashem, or thinking, or just the seichel, the intellect. Kahiyiskashrus asher b'seich levad ene kesher shakayava. Because the level of attachment that is created by pure intellect, that is not a Kesha Shokayama, that is not a that is not a permanent one. It doesn't remain. It's possible for a person to know very clearly in his mind Hashem He knows intellectually that that he's supposed to devote himself entirely to Hashem. He knows that intellectually. And he knows that he has to connect every single detail of his thoughts, his words, his words and his actions to the service of Hashem. But his heart and his entire body are very far from that type of service. Therefore, it's not enough to understand, but one has to find a way, and that's what the that's what the pizest and the swarm are all about, and that's what we've been learning about in Savaziras and Ibn Machshavatayva to to devote one's entire soul and all of his echias and the chias of his body and everything to attach to Yiddishkeit. He has to find a way to to awaken. 
his his soul. That his soul should be excited from every mitzvah and every word of Torah and every tefillah and davening. That he should feel a deep spiritual pleasure and joy. Because again, the the outside world is offering is offering the new generation tremendous amount of excitement, inspiration, and joy. We talk about inspiration. Our great grandparents, our great grandparents weren't studying secular poetry, and they were not and they were not reading novels. There, they, there was nothing in the outside world that inspired them. That they found inspiring. It was very difficult to be inspired by by drunken peasants. They didn't find the outside world appealing or inspiring. But nowadays, in the Rebbe's time, and certainly nowadays, <clears throat> how many how many people are there that can't they haven't heard a word of inspiration when it comes to Yiddishkeit? But when they real when they read you know Shakespeare or they read, read uh, Milton or, or Walt Whitman or or even even the, the the silly trashy things that are around nowadays, they find it to be moving and inspiring. They go to see them, they see a, a, a movie that's about about love. And they feel very they feel very inspired. They hear a song, they feel very inspired. They feel excited by it. And when they come to yeshiva, they don't hear anything inspiring. They don't they don't feel at all any any excitement. So he says, Now, of course, he says the advantage, the advantage immediately that you have, the 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 mile is that when the mitzvahs and the learning and the davening is infused with 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 inspiration, with excitement, then they're then they're done in a, in a better way. Then that in of itself is worth it, and they're holier. But idzos, but then there's a, there's something else. That person whose Yiddishkeit is exciting and inspiring, he will certainly be more successful in standing up to his Yitzhah. Because the Yitzhah is offering something interesting. The Yitzhah is offering something exciting. If your Yiddishkeit is not exciting, it's got, then, then Yiddishkeit loses. It's a very simple formula. The Yitzhah is talking about, about interesting things and exciting things. And if your entire Yiddishkeit is not animated and it's without motivation and without excitement, then why would why would you do it? Like why would it why would it be able to defeat the call of the Eight Sahara? There's guilt and there's a couple of things that hold you know that hold a person together for a while, but at some point it's very hard to keep things going. So that the person will not be torn. From the source of life, and to be thrown so quickly, to the to that dark and bottomless pit through the seduction of his yitzhar. Now the Rebbe is acknowledging that this is something that, because of the nature of the times, that we have to use certain methods of. Exciting the the new generation with the Yiddishkeit in a way that was not done in earlier times. He understands that there's something different, there's something revolutionary about it. But he feels that 
and he was, uh, and not that he needs our approval, and he was a hundred percent, a million percent right then, and he's, and he's a trillion percent right now. That the times require something different, a different mahalach. So he says, In the old days, we used to have to wait. It was important to wait for this type of Avodas Hashem, with his with feeling, and with depth, by the young, by the child, till he would be older, till he was older. Because it's very, it's very difficult for a for a young for a child for a child who's emotionally and intellectually undeveloped. It's very difficult for him to achieve true hislavas, not 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 just imitation. Or impersonation, but true his love is in serving Hashem. It's very difficult. The Rebbe points out something fascinating. He's the wherever you see a pasuk where the Torah mentions chukim and mishpatim. What always comes first? Makdemes es achukim lemishpatim. The chukim come before the mishpatim. Why? The Mishpatim have a reason, right? The Mishpatim are understood. They have an explainable reason, the Mishpatim. Chukim, of course, do not have a time that we understand. So he says, When it comes to the Mishpatim, a person can understand in a very, very clear way why we can't do this and why we should do this. Why one shouldn't, can't steal, why one must honor parents. These are things that that one's mind, one's seichel can become very much appreciative of. So, when it comes to a child giving a kiss to a parent... So even if he doesn't understand completely what it means to love a parent and what his parents have done for him. Does that mean that it's not clear to him that that he should give his parents a kiss and that his parents deserve a kiss? That's, that's known to him in a very, very clear way even though he doesn't understand exactly what the nature of a parent is and what his parents have done for him. There's a natural longing of the heart to give his father a kiss. And that is more clear to him than any intellectual understanding in the world. So it is with every Jew. With every mitzvah, whether he understands it or whether he doesn't understand the mitzvah. If his heart is longing to do this, then then he becomes excited and he becomes attached. And he what? And he believes in a clear and strong way. This is something of absolute clarity and certainty to him. Vadois ubruhilo, it is certain and clear. Vadovish Ainamus Ragish Bamuma. 
Now, when there's something where he feels nothing, that he feels nothing for, doesn't make him feel anything. Not in his mind and not in his heart. It's something that he he just feels like they're telling me to do. It's a chok. I have no time. Time here doesn't only mean a reason. It means what? A taste. I don't know. I have no time. <coughs> I just have to do it. Umitchila now. In the natural way, in the normal way, a person has to do, a Jew has to do a lot of mitzvahs, to, to immerse himself in Torah and in Avaidah and to with the mind and his soul. And the more than that he immerses himself, in that way of avoda and holiness, then ultimately what that brings about is magish b'shos ha'toyves ech In the old days, this was the order. The order was chukim mishpatim, which means that in the earlier years it was an avoda without tam, without excitement, without a taste, without feeling, without being driven. It was, a void, it was a void of Kabbalah's all, of accepting one's responsibility, of seeing the way that this is the way Jews live, this is the way my parents who are good people have taught me, and one goes on and on and on. But over time, as a result of the years of hard work, and putting all of his kaiches into that, then ultimately he would begin to feel, at certain times, he would feel his soul uplifted and he would feel it drawing near he would feel a tam chukim and mishpatim first was the period of chuk of chukim, of chayk of not knowing, of not understanding but of obeying and kabbalah's all but eventually it would lead to a feeling of mishpatim which means that the mitzvahs began to take on a taste have a taste and began to be exciting he would draw near to holiness and the supernal light of serving Hashem. He would feel his soul becoming more and more attached to the soul of Hashem. Even his body would be, would be excited with the service of Hashem. Mislahev would be inflamed and filled with, with awe. Sameach mishtaykek misgoigeg would be filled with joy and longing and would melt. So the Rebbe explains mitchila chukim la seis af belaytam. Page twenty-two, twenty-three, chav gimel. So in the beginning, that's why chukim always comes before mishpatim, because in the beginning the avodas Hashem was purely one of kabbalas all, of accepting responsibility and one of obedience and one of self-discipline and ultimately ultimately those years of Avaidah of Kabbalah's all would have that impact would have that effect upon the soul to bring to this state of excitement of Dveikas that's why Chukim is before Mishpat Mechilu Chukim La'asay Sa'af Hagosha without any taste and without any feeling Ve'acharkach that would ultimately bring to what? Mishpatim betam ve'islavis, that your avaydus Hashem was betam with a taste, and with excitement. 
And that's why during those early years of, of childhood and adolescence, the Iku was to be Isaac Bechukim, that once of Hashem was just one of a Kabbalah's all of Bechukim, without the emotions, without the feeling. And that was not the focus of the rebellion and of the parents in those early years. But that doesn't work anymore. Even though, Rabbi Isai, 99% of the Rebbeim, I'm not exaggerating in the Yeshivas, will say the same thing nowadays. Just keep on doing it, eventually it'll be okay. Keep on doing it, but Rebbe, I don't understand. But Rebbe, I have no connection to this. <clears throat> I heard that there was Thron to explain these things, that I should learn maybe something. Just, you're not allowed to look at those things. Just keep on doing it. Keep on doing it, and eventually you're going you're gonna to be excited about it. Bamis, you could ask the Rebbe, why? You're so excited. How excited are you about it? How come? How come you'll, you'll, you'll see that when it comes to when, when you walk into you walk even to many yeshivas, you'll find the rebbeim many times will be coming late to davening, or they'll spend half of davening looking at something else. Uh, so keep on doing, keep on doing, and you're going to get excited. It doesn't go anymore. It's not working. It's partially not working. Can just say keep on doing it. It did work for thousands of years because of the different conditions of Jewish life and all that we were talking about until now I'm not going to go over it so it did, it did work <coughs> but it's not working anymore it's not working anymore you can't tell a kid you can't tell a kid who sees a lot of good stuff on the street and a lot of good stuff on television and the internet and there's no chok over there he understands exactly why he likes it and it has a gewaldige time to him it has a terrific taste all of these things are fantastic only when it comes to Yiddishkeit everybody tells them just keep on doing it it's going to taste good so the children they give up very quickly why should I? I mean, may I? when it comes to everything else in my life it has a good time even when it comes to secular studies I enjoy this I, this, one, this subject I don't understand or this subject rather I don't like so I don't like this subject but the other subject is, I like this and it's interesting I enjoy it and then when the person goes to college and he's not forced I mean besides his requirements he's not forced to take things he's not interested in and now he takes subjects that he's interested in so uh, you know he's, he, he's, uh, he's going to major in something that he's always been fascinated by and he has some and he has some professor standing over there that, that, that's funny that's interesting and is talking to him about things that are fascinating so is it any wonder? I mean, it's, is it any wonder that the kids are not uh, that the kids are going off? What's the what's the pella? What's the wonder? Is it any wonder that the, that the parents themselves are not are not inspired and not excited? What's the wonder? Why? What is everybody so? I mean, they, why do they have to have so many seminars to try to figure this out? I mean, I don't. I don't. I'm not. I never. I, I've been saying this thing all the. I don't get like what's everybody so confused. What are you so bewildered about? Why don't you just be quiet and open up the tanya, the svasemis a little bit? And then you'll then you'll then you'll see that, that, that over years and years and years, learn kedushas levi, learn chavos talmidim, learn nefesh shachayim if you don't like the chassidim, that's okay. Learn nefesh shachayim, but learn it, really learn it. Learn the gra on on on, on That's also good. learn the maharal, but be'emes and be'aymik. From the earliest age, from the earliest time, teach kuzuri, learn kuzuri. Teach Amuna. Excite them about their Amuna. Learn Ramchal. Learn Derech Hashem. 
but on and on it goes right to people intelligent people saying just be quiet eventually you're going to feel something and the, and the kids are waiting they really do believe that talk to them they believe that eventually it's going to be okay but at some point so it used to be what was the competition but now <clears throat> so here in yeshiva they tell me eventually in my Yiddish guide rather eventually it's going to be something I'm going to feel something in the meantime, it's not nothing's doing on, on that in that uh, camp. But when it comes to the other uh, to the other things, when it comes to Matzah Shabbos, so why aren't they enjoying Shabbos? So what kind of a Shabbos is it? Eventually, Shabbos is going to be this amazing, amazing thing. So they tell the kids, "Don't worry. When you're when you're grown up, you know what Shabbos is going to be so beautiful, and it's going to be so important for you." And the kid says, "Why?" So the, so the father doesn't understand. So he says, because, you know, because then when you're older, you're going to be working all week, and it's going to be really gewaldic, you know, to, to be off Shabbos. And, and don't you see how I sleep, like, 18 hours? So that's what you have to look for. Now, you have to understand, a kid doesn't care about sleeping. They look at sleep as being like a, you know, as a hassle. They want, they want to be up all night. So think about it. All the parents' Shabbos means to the kid is sleeping a lot. The kids don't, are not particularly excited about that. What excites them is being up. That's what excites a kid, right? We don't know exactly when that happened, when it, when, it, when it changed over from how late, you know, let me stay up later and when can I get to bed earlier, right? At some point, something happened. No. So the kid sees, look at my parents, Shabbos is a very special day. It's like they sleep more than any other day of the week. It's very special. Right? So the kid, that's not interesting. So the, so the, the parents telling the kid, you're going to see Shabbos is going to be really meaningful to you. So, what's the deep meaning of Shabbos? If there's a house that's filled with Zmiris and with Tyra and with Avaida and Simcha and, and Ahava and all the good things that Shabbos is about, so then, then the child already begins to feel that there's a Tam. He begins to taste that there's a Tam in Shabbos besides the food and the sleep. He sees there's a Tam. And he's excited by it. No. So then, then it could compete with Saturday night. But if you're growing up and the only thing, to, the only thing that's, that's exciting is Saturday night, but Friday night doesn't have much going for it, then what do you want? Well, what's the, what's the, again, what's the Pella? What are you wondering about? That they're, not, that they're not interested in Shabbos, that they're running away from Shabbos. And then all of us that did the same thing when we were kids, we grew up and we try to get our kids to be more interested, to be more involved. And we talk to them, it's very important and so on. It's very hard. So the Rebbe says, what are we going to do with our generation? It's true that in the earlier times, you tell the kids just keep on going, Kabbalah's all and so on, and they would and they would go through that because it's true that the nature of Kabbalah's all. There's no question that it's true that if you makabalo malchushamayim, and even though it might just be intellectually, that over time, it, it over time it takes its toll in a good way, and you begin to feel that attachment to Yiddishkeit. And our grandparents and great-grandparents didn't start learning the Svar Makedashim when they were 10, 11 years old. And yet, and yet, the Yiddishkeit was something which was so, so strong, so powerful at such a time. Because our generation is different. Because what we've been learning about is that nowadays the children are looking for those emotional eyes and self-awareness and self-understanding in the question of who am I and what's the purpose of my life from the earliest age. These are things that kids never thought about. That wasn't there, that wasn't something that they worked, that, that, that it wasn't something that they had to work out. And that's why I told you, even if you ask an adult from the old school, Daddy, don't you ever wonder about 
like who you are and they look at you like you're out of space you know I'm a yid and I, whatever. I don't know to, I have to say slichas today be quiet and get up what do you mean like who am I what kind of things are who am I and so so the younger generation thinks that oh, the parents they're not smart we're much smarter than them we're much more like all the like the kids that are listening to some to, to like to the latest song you know uh, on the radio they think that they're so much deeper than their parents my parents never heard this song and this is something which is so deep and my parents they just operate on a very shallow level but I'm really deep because I you know this song is talking about you know deep things and they and they they really believe that they really think that they think they look at the older generation as being numbskulls and <clears throat> just like just like in Europe when, they, when, when, the, when the young people were beginning to, to, to look into literature and to art and music and to the secular world and how do they look at the, at the parents and the grandparents sitting over the Gemaras? How do they look at the old Bobby saying that these, are, that these are a bunch of very sweet and very lovable peasants. They're peasants. We're Hashem, we understand, we know the meaning of life and so on. So... That's when the Mashber, there was a crisis of faith that began before World War II. Really, World War I, that Kufa at the beginning of the 20th century, that time is when things really started to turn around. It was already by, it was certainly by the, you know, it began by the, look, by, by the Industrial Revolution, that whole Kufa, but it kicked into full gear after World War I when the Shtetlov were falling apart. See, the Shtetlov were very, very, Sheltered and isolated, they, li- they led very sheltered and isolated lives in the Shtetlach. World War One, as you know, World War One to a large extent in Poland, Galicia destroyed to a large extent it destroyed that sheltered little life. And and the Jews were picking up and going from me. And then communism, communism, oi, was a churban, what a churban communism made, and the effects of it are still being felt. And <clears throat> and all the ideologies, secular Zionism. At the beginning of the 20th century, look what, what were the Zionists? What were they offering the kids? They were offering them something that was very idealistic, and and they were and the kids were excited by it. They loved they loved Jews. The Zionists loved Jews, and they spoke only about about helping Jews and improving the and improving the lot of the Jewish people. And we're going to go to Palestine. We're going to go to settle the land, and we'll be our own people. And they and they sang new songs, the Hebrew songs, and they and they read new poems. And they had Chenechovsky and Bialik. They had their they had their rebellion, and they had Agnon. They had Yudlamid Gordon. These were brilliant people who knew the language of the Yeshiva Bacher. Right? They knew the language of the Yeshiva Bacher much better than we do, and they knew how to learn more than we know. And they and they knew to speak to the generation the language of the Yeshiva Bacher. You ever read anything? You, if you ever, you read, ever read, read anything by Achad Ha'am? I'm not saying that you should. I read everything he wrote. Achad Ha'am, when you read his stuff, you think that you're reading from like the Sholem Eishiv of the Chassam Seifer. When you read it, it sounds like it's a Chassam Seifer. He was an Eli, a genius of the first order, who from the time that he was 15 years old was writing letters already to the Lemberg to the Sholem Eishiv. In Halacha, back and forth. Achad Ha'am whose father-in-law was a chassidish rabbi. And these were the people who knew how to talk to the generation. They didn't come to them violently with secular things. They spoke to them in the language that they were familiar. Mendel Amarich didn't speak about Shakespeare. 
Look at, if you read the stories from Mendel Mechus from what became one of the uh, Shalom Aleichem Shalom Aleichem story Fiddler what they Tevula Milchig right what they adapted it's not the same thing but Fiddler on the Roof Fiddler on the Roof you know how many Jews have told me that they, there was Makar of them the whole thing is Apikaris Apikaris the whole Fiddler on the Roof is Apikaris the whole story is a story that's making fun of Terry Mitzvah making fun of Yiddishkeit just think for two minutes that's all it's about the progress to the point where finally Tevi is made that, that this is the way it is you know when you, your daughter marries a guy right <laughs> listen get with the Tevi and the Reb is the old fool <clears throat> and the, the joy in the Simcha of the of the of the Ukrainians coming in and having a dance the Cossacks having a it's all it's all Shalom Aleichem's hate of Torah Mitzvahs he was a person that despised Torah Mitzvahs but he was infused with the Yiddish Atam Shalom Aleichem yeah, that's an interesting pen name to take Shalom Aleichem and he spoke to them in, with words that they were used to and with a Yiddish warmth that they felt comfortable with and they were inspired by his stories and they were excited by they were excited by the poetry they were excited by the by the brilliance of Achadam, who spoke to them about things that they felt was relevant to them, in the language that didn't that didn't intimidate them, that they knew from the yeshivas, and they knew from the home, and it was with the cheshbon, <clears throat> and a large part of our people was taken away from Torah mitzvahs. A large part of our people that didn't just happen now. They understood. Those people, Chenechovsky, Echadam, Yehudalev Gordon, and Shalom Aleichem, they understood. It's unbelievable stuff. Bialik is unbelievable stuff. It's brilliant and it's beautiful and it's filled with Yiddishkeit. All the characters, all the characters in this, in, in the, are ones that the, that the Jews could relate to. They could relate to. So then, when you, so then, even so, when you read, when you see the the, the play or the movie Fiddler on the Roof, oh, and the tzitzis around, and he's got a tzitzis around, he's got a beard and payers, and then it sounds like. Because what are you supposed to do? You're supposed to come to the shtetl and talk to them about Shakespeare. That's not how you're going to seduce them away from teremitzus. It has to be done with something that's familiar and they're comfortable with. <clears throat> and. And that was the great seduction of the, 20, of the late 19th century and the beginning of the 20th century. And all the irreligious Jews that we meet all over the place are the victims. Of the victims of the victims. Of what happened in that amazing time of upheaval. <clears throat> so what's happening now? So at least those, at least those Jews in those days, Ruba the Ruba, they, they, they would never think of marrying a non-Jew. Right? Most of that generation, they wouldn't conceive of marrying a non-Jew, not because of not because of Shulchanach, but because what am I going to talk about? You know, like they say. I remember my father told me once a joke that there was a there was a yid, it was a chassidish yid that he was talking to his wife that he, he couldn't stand anymore being the anti-Semitism and the misery, so he decided he wanted to convert to Christianity. And he says, Rochla, you know, he tells her we have to convert, and she says, "What? Isn't a shikir, the uncle?" A, to be a guy so, and, but year after year you know so finally she had no choice what she can do with him so two of them they go to the church and they get baptized and they convert fine the next morning she gets up to, to make breakfast and Yankel is putting on film so she says Yankel eh? 
you're making me crazy all the years that we have to convert. So what are you putting on film? So he's stuck. That's what he says. <laughs> you're right. Doesn't make any sense. You're right. You're right. There's there's a lot of aimic to that joke. <clears throat> there's a lot of aimic to that joke. But what are you going to do? What are you going to What are you going to do? You're going to tell him to marry. But he's uh, Yankel is going to marry. He's going to marry. Uh, Yankel is going to marry uh, Brittany or uh, Meredith. What's Yankel going to talk to? What? So in that generation, in that generation, so they, so those Jews, they marry Jews. What was that? What are they going to? I mean, they, they had nothing in common with a non-Jew. But the children nowadays, they have nothing in common with non-Jews. They see Williamsburg or Borough Park, or Muncie, or Monroe, or Mayor Sharmagula, as much stranger to them than, than, um, than Greenwich Village. You know that? <clears throat> much stranger to them. I'm not talking about just the little kids. <laughs> the adults who are always so tolerant when it comes to every Narishkite, they have to be tolerant. But when it comes to, when it comes to that look of the yeshivas of the chassidim, or that way of life, all of a sudden there's an, in, an unbelievable intolerance. The old time Yiddish system, the socialist, the Zionists, I'm talking about from the, the Shalom Aleichem, the Bialik people, they, they could sit down with a Chassidish Ayyid, they could sit down with a, with a and they could, and they could mamish, even though they were yelling, they were arguing all the time. But they, were, they, had a, they had so much in common. They had so much in common. They had such, they had such a, 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 do you ever read, if you read the books of Chaim Grada? Or what was the? What was the? the you, ever, you ever in school? There was a play that Chaim Grader wrote. It's called the Quarrel. Did you ever see this? The Quarrel. You ever read it? So they made it into. It's not. It's not a famous. I don't remember who recommended that I. Oh, there's a friend of mine that said that you got to see this, and we and, and there's a video called the Quarrel, and. Uh, so anytime I wanted to see a video, I would I would take it to the kids to, in yeshiva to say this is important that we see. You know? <laughs> so I got to see it. So it's unbelievable. It's these two these two these two yidden that were best friends before the Muhammad that were in yeshiva together, and they and they went through the Holocaust, and they and they each one thought the other one had died, and then they meet in Toronto, Rosh Hashanah time, and they. And they resume a quarrel that they had from years before. The believer, and one of them is a Rosh Hashiva, with a beard and pays, and the other one is a complete free thinker. They're both brilliant. They're both brilliant. It's 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 a masterpiece. It's a masterpiece. The quarrel. But they had a common. They had so much in common in those days. They had so much in common. It could be, it could be even if it was a Jew who, God forbid, was Machal Shabbos and Eichel Nevelas He could sit down with it. He could sit down with it all with an old time Jew, the Chassid And not only did they have, they loved each other. And in his eyes, you know, like I told you once that you know Ben Gurion was not somebody that liked Torah mitzvahs. Kiyaduah. I so, but I but I once told you that I heard a story that 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 Ben. I told this to you last year. I think that Ben Gurion was once walking with Eliezer Ben Yehuda. Ben Yehuda, the, the, the founder of modern Hebrew, right? The dictionaries named after him. Ben Yehuda. Now, Ben Yehuda was the biggest Saini Hadas. He, he couldn't stand a, a Shem Shabbos Jew. He made a war against Tyramitsis. So one time, so he hated, so Ben so he hated, Ben, ben Yehuda hated, he hated Yiddish. To him, Yiddish was what was the was the embodiment of all that he was trying to to go away from, 
but he was running away from Eliezer ben Yehuda. So one time he's walking with Ben Gurion, and it was a Hamsin. You know what that is? It was an unbearable heat wave. Anyway, they're walking. He, he meets Ben Gurion, and Ben Gurion starts to talk to him in Yiddish. In Mamelosh, Ben Gurion starts to talk to, to, to him. Now Eliezer ben Yehuda also came from the shtetl, but ben, but ben Yehuda says, he says, "Kvod Rosh Memshalah, honorable prime." that you're speaking in that disgusting language Yiddish so Ben-Gurion says oh to me a favor to me a favor see haste it's too hot it's too hot to talk Hebrew I can't do it I, just, I can't do it I can't concentrate I'm too hot I'm tired I, I just got to talk Yiddish come on can we stop this whole thing for, just, for, just for now I, I'll get back to it later on but I'm too hot to talk Hebrew that's what Ben-Gurion said so this is the whole thing was, was make believe the whole thing was part of that Running away from the from the old from the shtetl, but you know when it's too hot and you're too tired, you revert back to you know to the to what you're most comfortable with to mamalosh, and that's how they that's how they were. <coughs> but nowadays, what the the kids are charmed by shalom aleichem, you know, like what does it mean to them? Bichlal. They they have nothing. The kids, the adults, they have nothing in common. They look at they look when they go through Williamsburg and may charm. At best, they'll say, "Isn't this cute?" You know, the, the kids are so cute. Look at them. But but they feel totally, totally distant and alien to all of that. And when I was a kid, <clears throat> growing up, my parents, my father, made a point to take my sister and I to Williamsburg all the time to the relatives in Williamsburg. Not that he had that. Not that we had that lifestyle. But he told me that this is the way that we. This is the way that it was. And this is the way that we grew up. And, and, and he didn't want it to be strange to us. We spoke about it. That, that we should feel comfortable in that way. Even though, my, even though for whatever reason my father didn't pick that up again after the war. But he didn't want it to be something which we, were, which we felt was, was outside of our way of thinking. Outside of our way of looking at life. Nowadays. Uh, there's, a, there's a teacher, there's a, an Orisa Mech, some of you might have heard of, uh, David Gottlieb. David Gottlieb, he's a, he was a professor, he was actually from MIT, a brilliant guy, and he, and he became, uh, over the year, he, he became, was attached to the Boston Arabi, and became a, a chassid, and he lives in Yushalayim, and he teaches in Orisa Mech. He's a very chassid of a person, a very special person, wrote a, wrote a book, very, very, very chassid of a person. So, so, someone once gave me a tape of, of his, and he was saying about how when he was dis- when he was in um, when he was in in in, in, uh, in Hebrew school, he was from a completely non-religious family. When he was in a, a reform Hebrew school, so when he was in Hebrew school, they would they would take the kids on on different trips. And he says that they took them to see the to see the the uh, Pennsylvania Dutch to see the Amish. And and they were going, you know, that was one of the trips. So he was getting, as a kid, he was starting to get interested in Yiddishkeit and the Chassidim and so on. So he asked, he asked the teacher in the, in, the, in, the, in the Hebrew school, could we go to, forget about Williamsburg, Virginia, could we go to, could we go to Williamsburg in Brooklyn? So the teacher started ranting and raving. Those, those primitive, uncivilized animals. I would never take our class, you know, like... They went to see the Amish. See, now, you know, the Amish buy their clothing in Williamsburg. You know that. Yeah, singers on Lee Avenue. He told me that he, gets, that he, he takes care of all the Amish. 
They order their clothing from Lee Avenue, those guys. <laughs> yeah. What do you think? It's from Brooks Brothers or something? <laughs> it's, from, it's, from, it's from Lee Avenue. That's where they get their clothing. You know? So, so that the teacher says, it's, it's uncivilized, it's disgusting. They're backwards, crazy people not going there. Everything else in the world is beautiful and it's part of being a cultured person. So look, this is what the Rebbe is saying. He says, if we don't, if we don't, if we don't address that need for his slavas, if we don't appeal to the excitement and to what's exciting, what's inspiring, to draw it into holiness, because they're excited by all these other things. They're inspired by everything else. So if we don't tap into that need for excitement, that need for inspiration in a holy way, then all that kid is going to be excited by and feel his slavas for is for the shtus, for the stupidity, the narishkeit, and the yoifi hamaguna, and the ugly beauty. Of what Shalom that the world is talking about. That the world says this is beautiful, this is beautiful, but it's, it's really ugly. Noilum Hafuk, an upside down world. The children are growing up in wonder and impressed by the ways of the outside world. The Lachmaid is Ta'alulolehem Amukhorim. And they have a and they have a craving and they're jealous. For all the ugly paths and ways of the of the outside world, they're jealous. They look at themselves as being as suffocating and suffering and being tortured by their parents and their rebbies. And they see that the that the, they see the friends down the block, the non-religious shoes, or they see lahavdo the goyim, that they're having a good time and they're happy and they're laughing and they're living it up. Lenar ben Dorenu, for a child of our generation, Shahar Geshoisov is Palioisov, Kvarnis Gitnis Bagruv and his Baltu, that his emotions and his need for a thrill and for excitement is already, is already grown up at an early age. This never was. That's why you could get away with the Chukim and Mishpata, but it's not like that anymore. They have to have a Tom from the beginning because they're looking for a Tom, they're demanding a taste. They're demanding excitement. They want it. They're looking for meaning. They're looking for them for themselves. They're looking for, you know, who am I and what's the purpose of my life? And if the Rebbe doesn't talk to him about the purpose of his life, and he comes to high school or college and there's somebody else that talks to him about the purpose of his life, the purpose of your life is to do this and do that, to have a good time and to make a lot of money. So what do you want from the kid? And then when he comes home and he sees that apparently his parents also believe in that, what the professor spoke about. Because all I ever, all I ever hear them talk about is money. And all they ever care about is having more things. And going out and having a good time. And the latest movie, the latest, the latest uh, show. So what do you expect them to think? And no one just sits, no one will sit and learn the Chabs tell me that any of these, at any of these big talks and all these conventions... Just take out the Chavis and learn and learn a parak of learn the Hakdam of the Chavis Talmidim. What's the big What's the big pella? I mean, it's such a pella. How do we understand? How do we figure this out? They want, they, 
Because they don't want to do that. They want to go by, they want to say, they say this to my minimum in Cairo, that they want to go after that there, and nothing else, they love where Philip was, was saying how it's so nice how all the Rosh Hashivas also said it's so wonderful they do such wonderful work there's only one Rosh Hashiva all the years two in 35 years that stepped foot into the place I'll tell you who they were Rabbi Simcha Wassim and Zechat Saklav Rocha you heard of him? and Rabbi Shlomo Freifeld those were the only two Rosh Hashivas that ever stepped foot into the place and that, was a, and that place was doing that stuff long before all the other schools you didn't have all these other Kirov places Reb Shlomo Freifeld, not just once, many times Reb Shlomo came. And Reb Simcha Wasserman. And not only the Reb Simcha, I remember when Reb Simcha said when he came. He didn't just come. He came and spent the whole day talking to kids. And he kept, and he wrote letters to kids. Reb Simcha Wasserman, Reb Elchanan's son, the Rosh Hashim Reb Simcha. You know what kind of Jew he was? Reb Simcha Wasserman. Everybody else said, it's very, very, very nice yeshiva. And they would sign a letter. They'll sign a letter that it's a hush of a place. You should, you should give some money for this yeshiva. And Rebbe Falk invited everyone. Come, come to this. Come talk to the kids. Come meet the kids. Rebbe Shlomo Freifeld and Rebbe Simcha Wasserman. Zehu. And he invited everyone to come. That's it. <clears throat> Go to Brooklyn and talk and, to, and talk to the. You know, there's that tzaddik that opened up the that opened up the pool hall over there. You know, Bindik, he, He's an amazing Jew. This Jew. From, I think he's originally from Kanasi. You know the one that had the color grocery store? See, he made a pool hall. He made a pool hall with, for, the, for the boys to come and, and, to, and to be able to, to be with other Jews, right? And it's a fantastic idea. Fantastic idea. I, I went there a few times to, to see and to talk to kids. It's a fantastic place. See, he told me when I went there, he told me that... Um, that when he had this idea, so they said you can't do it without without like going to talk to you know the, to get all the approval and talk to the Rosh Hashiv. So he said he said he tried to do that. He tried to do that, but then each one said, "No, I, I, it's, it's beautiful, it's beautiful, but I can't. I have to talk to the other. You have to have a meeting." You know. So then he says, oh, "Forget it." He just went and made it. <laughs> he said, "Forget." It. He didn't care. He says, uh, and everybody said, "You can't do it without a letter." He said, "I don't care," and he went and made it. And then now, he says, now, all the Rashi was saying, what a tzaddik, whoa, what a gavaldika thing. He says, but not one has stepped foot in the place. Not one. Not one. What are we going to say? Man noiva, man adadava, man What are we, what are we doing? What are we doing? <clears throat> so maybe in the interim, since, since I last spoke to maybe people coming around, they're beginning to realize when you have a Rashiva whose own grandson is going off and there's no lack of that either so then he'll then eventually so he'll stop into the place he'll stop in but this is what's happening so the Rebbe says Lenabra and Darin Shahagishos of his Baliyos of Kray Nisbagruv and Nisbaltu Koshit Kralakashi Bechukim Lohekoshis you're going to talk to him about Yiddishkeit without any that he's not, and he has no time from his Yiddishkeit there's no feeling for the Yiddishkeit just keep on doing it even if it's intellectually, it's interesting. I mean, Gemara is interesting. Bishanim, it's interesting. But if it's just dry intellect, we must enter and we must penetrate into the hearts, into the souls of the children, and awaken and inflame their hearts. 
The children, the young people should at least feel a little bit, a little bit of the sweetness, of the pleasantness, of a light, of a light of that higher supernal light of holiness. Of something, of a little bit of a, of a, to have a glimpse of that light. And even if he gets a glimpse of it, to shtokek v'tiskashe, you'll see that he'll, that he'll long for it, and he'll be attached to Yiddishkeit. If you give him a glimpse of it, that's the same thing with adults nowadays. He was talking about the children. With adults, it's the same thing now. Weiter and weiter, more speeches and more drushes and more, and more meetings and meetings, weiter and more, you know, uh, especially, you know, lunches and breakfasts and weiter, all the sisterhoods and brotherhoods and motherhoods and fatherhoods. And we're going to have our annual golfing thing in our and, our, and our, then then, because, then also with everything so they're trying to you see the only thing they feel comfortable is they're going to talk they'll only talk about Israel about Israel and what's the massive and it's Israel and Israel because everybody cares about that and because the, 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 these rabbis have no other they have no other lesson to talk so the only thing they can get their oil going so they'll talk about Israel is about the Palestinians yeah we're angry about the Palestinians you're angry we're angry so it's the Holy so, and, and therefore you're angry come to Minion tomorrow please you're angry come to Minion what's inspiring <coughs> what's exciting about Yiddishkeit about Yiddishkeit it's not just the children the adults have no time either the adults have no time in the old generation the adults then by the rabbi they, they, uh, but the adults now a time so they keep on going because what are they going to do? They're going to become non-religious. You know, many many would like to, but it just would be too shocking. And they have rachmanis on their children, and they can't do it, and on their parents, and they can't do it. But if they had an opportunity to do some of the things that the non-religious are doing or that the goyim are doing, they would do it. And whatever they can get away with, and still feel that it's called orthodox, they'll do. If you can get away with it, they'll do it. And if you show them what it says, but the, but the Ramah passes, you can't do that. Or it says in the Medrash, if you do that, you're an Isfar. It doesn't make a difference as long as it's accepted in the Orthodox world. It has nothing to do with Halacha. They care what it says in Shulchan Aruch? Is it not coming with a Shach or a Taz or the Chavetz Chaim? No. If I can still call myself Orthodox, I'm still officially Orthodox, if I can get away with it, with this, I'll do it. And if someone would say, you know, uh, you can even, you can even, even an Asian says she's still Orthodox, this stuff, they'll do that too, just like you have, just like kissing. You could be, a, you could be an Orthodox Jew and, and, and kiss your friend's wife. An Asian says, a kiddish. No, it's not a pella. And you, you know that you know that this is an insulting thing, and that this is uh, these are things that I'm saying. So, so what do you, do you really have to? You really have to take out the shulchan to, to discuss to show that doesn't I don't care. Among the Orthodox, this is done. Gemarnu, a married a man to kiss a married woman. What are you, are you out of your mind? What does that mean? So you're saying Balkarchi, I'm at work. 
is there a heter that this lady, you know, I'm going to lose my panos, she puts out a hand, I shouldn't shake it. No. Because she, right? So that you know there is such a thing to rely upon that shock. There is. But to stand there like, you know, in shul? Oh, Gloria, hey. Hey, Marv, Marv, how you doing? What is that? You go to weddings. I always put my head down because I don't want to, you know, because the people that know me know that, that I, I detest that. So, they, you know, they don't want me to see that I see, you know, whatever. But what is that? Because you know why? It doesn't have to do with Shulchan Aruch. Wait, you, you, but you have to be a Tamil Chacham to know that that's also a Pidin? No. You have to be a Tamil Chacham. LMI, I see that I could be Orthodox and do this. Why? Because I see that the Orthodox do that. I Maybe this is unorthodox. Maybe, maybe kissing a married woman is unorthodox. Maybe that's something which is not a pitayra. Why are you getting Torah involved in this stuff? Why are you bringing, why are you bringing Torah into my religion? <laughs> why, why are you bringing Torah into my religion? What does Torah have to do with religion? What does Shulchanach have to do with my religion? My religion has to do with one thing. <clears throat> the least I can get away with is an Orthodox Jew. And if there are other Orthodox Jews that are doing it, and, and the rabbi will never talk about it. He wants to have a congregation. That's his parnasa. So the rabbi is going to get up there. Could you imagine the rabbi getting up there on Shabbos, Shabbos in these places screaming about kissing? About this business? How could he even do it? <coughs> it's accepted. So then, what about the Yiddish guide? What about your mother in law? Huh? What about I'm not going to go into these... Uh, well, that's a that's a that's an age old question. Are you talking about mine in particular? There's no, pro- I have no problem with that. <laughs> that's fine. I'm just joking, Shvig. It's all right. <coughs> what are you gonna do? You gonna do? It's like you know, you're you're. These things are only the words. These are obviously things that are for fanatics. For fanatics, and if you say, "Listen, I didn't say this." Rabbi Yosef Cairo, Rabbi Cairo, he had he had a, he had a congregation in Svas, you know. Yeah, he was the he belonged to the board of rabbis in, in Svas. You know, the Arizal, the Ramak, the Al Shachakadosh. They had a board of rabbis in Svas, and they had the board of rabbis signed a letter that you're not supposed to do this. You know? You're not allowed to. You're not allowed to kiss somebody else's wife a kiddush. The board of rabbis. They had a, they had a whole convention in Svas. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they wrote in Svas, they came up with these things. They have, they have laws, they have rules. No, no, no. That's, well, what are you talking about? But, but if the, but the rabbis put together some, they can put together any stupid letter now about this takana, that takana, who knows what, this and that. And everybody's still moving. What about the Shulchan Aruch? It's a very fine document. It's a beautiful document. It's kept us going. It's kept us alive for a long time. Rambam, Gemara. This is good stuff. It has nothing to do with Yiddishkeit. Nothing to do with Yiddishkeit. Try telling a friend of yours that's doing this, that's, that's kissing, try telling him, let's learn together a little bit Evan Hazel. Let's learn a little bit Shulchan Aruch together. Let's learn a little bit Shulchan Aruch together. Or ask him, did you, uh, did you ever check into that, whether that's allowed according to halacha? Can you imagine saying that to someone? Go over to, go over to Mr. So-and-so with Mrs. So-and-so, right after they, they, they give the, the little kiss at the wedding. Right? I'm not talking about a husband and wife. I'm talking about strength, you know, to give a look and say, excuse me, excuse me. Uh, I just want, did you ever look into that? <laughs> you guys, you guys ever look into that? You know, I don't mean anything personally. Ever look into that? <laughs> Can you imagine? Did you ever look into that? 
you, you, in, in their eyes, you are worse than a caveman. I'm worse than a caveman. Did you ever look into it? What did you ever look into? Bechlan, your whole life, what do you look into? What somebody else is doing? <clears throat> what are you looking into? So it's not just the children. Lachenim writes, let's just finish this paragraph. Lachenim writes, therefore he says, if you want to if you want to attach him to Yiddishkeit in such a strong way that what and educate him that even when he's old he'll never go away from Yiddishkeit not just because they force him to and they tell him you have to because his soul wants to be wants him to put on wants him to daven so the Rebbe says we can't wait anymore we can't delay we can't put this off from the time of his, from the time that he's a child, you have to teach him. In you have to learn the kedushas levi and chayvus to tell me them when they're children, and you have to with the hisrakshus and the spilers and with nigunim and with rikudim to fabreng into from the time that they're children. Chanoich lanar al pidarkei. What is the derech, the dark of our generation? There's only one way for the Pizetzna. And that's the way of chasidus, of truthful chasidus. Alavobis of heartsicker chasidus, with heart. Benafshis, and with one soul. Even though it's true that at the beginning the children they shuckle and they get and they and they, they sing the nagunim and they don't really know exactly what it is. The Rebbe explains that that's okay. It's okay because the child is holding on to the edge of that chesidus. He's holding on to something of it. And he's becoming attached to that way of life, that way of living. And as he grows up and he learns more and, and works more at it, then eventually, eventually it's going to catch on and he's going to be a chosid emes. It's going to be an avaydus Hashem, the emes with real chasidus and real, and real avaydus. We should be zaycher for this, Mr. Shem.